Hello and welcome to I Don't Know The Podcast, episode 66, Haunted Britain. And yes, I am aware that we've had three Prime Ministers since the last episode, but you know, what can you do? But anyway, it's that time of year, Spooktober. The time of year Americans make everything taste and smell like artificial pumpkin spice, my local garden centre gets overrun by screaming kids, and my dog becomes even more miserable as my wife poses it in various embarrassing costumes. Halloween traditions are thought to have evolved from Celtic and Gaelic festivals, particularly Samhain. This was adopted by the Christian church, so I don't know why they're always complaining at this time of year. But to cut a long story short, there's supposed to be a lot of ghosts around right now. So let's look at the most haunted country on the planet, allegedly, Great Britain with the help of the Channel 5 documentary, Haunted Britain. Okay, Haunted Britain. Channel 5 in the UK usually makes documentaries with titles like Obese and on Benefits or I Got My Whole Body Pierced. So this one, Haunted Britain, seems to be a bit of a departure for the channel. It was made in the year 2000, which for someone my age doesn't really seem that long ago, but as I watched it, it seems like the year 2000 was a bit shit and nowhere near as modern as I remember. The picture quality isn't good, and I don't think any of the cars I see in the background are hybrids. Everything is grey and people are badly dressed. It all looks a bit like present day Scotland. Or 1965 Oldham, which I have also been researching due to my being cast in the role of Bill in the upcoming production of Hangmen at the Courtyard Theatre. Opening night is November 7th, but it's sold out now so don't follow any links for tickets. But Haunted Britain was one of the first things that came up when I started my research for this episode and is about the right length for this podcast and let's hope it's amusing enough as well. So let's just get into it. I'm very fond of castles and old buildings, but the whole of this place is just horrible, I think. She comes over here, pauses again, and looks out of the window.
The documentary starts off with a little montage of people saying vaguely scary things that we will see in the whole context later on over the top of some scary music. Phew, anyone could do that. Then, some scarier music, and it begins. Britain is said to be the most haunted country on Earth. Of course, Britain can claim that, but since there isn't really any sort of official league table out there, we can't really be sure. Millions of souls have lived and died here. It appears that some may be reluctant to leave. Which is probably one of the reasons people voted for Brexit. Fact or fantasy, for some, ghosts are an obsession. Fact or fantasy? Even the narrator isn't really sure about this one. This is Robert Snow, a 55-year-old journalist. You know nothing, Robert Snow. Oh, but Robert Snow illustrates something I was saying earlier. For some reason, they give Robert's ages 55. I'm not sure if he's happy with that information being divulged or not, but that's not important right now. In the year 2000, Robert Snow is 55, but he looks a lot older. And um, when I look at pictures of 55-year-old people from the past, they all look a lot older. I'm not far from 55 myself, and I really hope I don't look like that. He's the secretary of the oldest paranormal society in the world, the Ghost Club. Established in 1862, today the Ghost Club has more than 250 members. Each has a fascination with the paranormal. Since 1862? It's been going for 160 years and they only have 250 members. By my calculations, that's less than two new members a year. Maybe it's the name. The Ghost Club would suggest that it's a club just for ghosts and ghosts only. They investigate haunted sites all over Britain. Maybe they should call it the Ghost Investigators Club. Prowl Sands is a tiny village in Cornwall. It's home to possibly the most haunted building in Britain. Pengersic Castle. Cornwall is in the southwest of England. I actually grew up in Cornwall. Now, I don't know about ghosts, but the only thing still lingering there from past centuries would be their cuisine and their attitude to minorities. But I digress. More than 500 years old, the castle's history is tainted with tales of murder, hatred, religious feuds and ritual sacrifice. This evil reputation attracts interest from all over the world. But isn't that all castles? Every castle in England is there because of battles and murders and lots of terrible goings-on. That's how dukes and kings got their lands and titles. Which is why I'm a bit pissed off that they just handed the crown to Charles. Shouldn't someone have to fight him for it? And to be honest, I think I could take him. And I'm not even that hard. Ronald Kirby is a professional dowser. He's been studying the castle for 15 years. There's a lot to unpack in that short sentence. Professional dowser. I hope that isn't his only form of income. 
unless dowsers charge like thousands to come over and um, douse your house. To be honest, I'm not sure what they do or why you would call out a dowser. At the moment, this guy's just waving around a metal thing. He concentrates on just one room. Pangersik's bedchamber. A dowsing pervert? Track your presence for me. Using dowsing rods, Ron has tracked the movement of more than 28 presences in this room alone. Goes over to the bed, and then where my rods cross, she pauses. Where my rods cross is not a euphemism. He's holding a metal rod in each hand as he walks around and makes notes where the rods move and cross over each other. He's been doing this for 15 years, ladies and gentlemen. 15 years, and mostly in this one room. And she comes over here, pauses again, and looks out of the window. One presence is stronger than the others. That of a young girl. Oh, God, he is a pervert. I was up here with Alan Neal, who's a friend of mine, as well as being a, a dowsing tutor. He was sitting in that chair, and I was sitting in this one. And he had a pad on his knee, and he's just sitting there with his eyes closed. And all of a sudden, his hand started going mad. There was no rhyme, reason, or direction to it. And after a few minutes, um, he just gave a breath, a breath and uh, opened his eyes. And this is what, um, this is what uh, had happened. That was the end of Ronald's story. He was in the room with a fellow dowsing pervert who got shaky hands. This isn't the strongest opening story for a documentary, and they seem to have completely forgotten about Robert Snow and his undersubscribed ghost club. For Ronald, the energy he senses is real. But would this be the same for non-believers? To find out, we asked four people to spend the night at Pengersic Castle with Robert Snow and members of the Ghost Club. Oh, they haven't forgotten about them. Abby is an and, um, office manager. They've done a, a study on Louise, a photographer. Wenyu is a student. And Mark works in engineering. They have no knowledge of the castle's history and no special interest in ghosts themselves. Tonight, their role is to be impartial observers. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Mark seems surprisingly upbeat and sociable for someone who works in engineering. But it does sound more entertaining than two old pervs wandering around empty rooms with sticks in their hands. Well, welcome to Pengersic Castle. I understand that most of you haven't been on a paranormal investigation before. And if this is your first time, this is good as anywhere to start. Um, if this, this place is probably as good as any for the candidate for the most haunted house in Britain. Oh, they all say that, don't they? I haven't told you what has happened here in great detail, otherwise it might, um, it might influence you. You might start to imagine things. That's not meant to be anything detrimental against you, because it's, it's, it's human nature. It's understandable. But remember... If something frightens you, if you see something that's very unpleasant or unnerves you, remember, it cannot hurt you. You are absolutely safe. They're absolutely safe? This is one of the few places that the team from Most Haunted haven't visited. But I'm sure the now-dead Derek Accor would have found a way to injure several crew members in there. Robert also has a crew with him, including a psychic called Natalie, who gives the newbies a little pep talk. 
Basically, the only advice I can give to you on the ghost watches is to have an open mind at the start and try and free your mind of all conceptions what's going to happen and just be open and you're more likely to experience things. Has anyone, before we start, has anyone actually any questions they'd like to ask me or any things they're afraid of or worried about? So, you know, don't be afraid to speak up. I guess now would be a good time to ask where the bathroom is. How are you so sure that these ghosts can't hurt you? How do you know? Well, there's never been a case of a ghost harming anyone at all. They're, they're not material objects. Well, I've seen several ghost shows that would argue with that. Do you believe in evil? Yes, I believe in evil. I mean, I'm, 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 not, a, I'm not an atheist. I, I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm not a regular churchgoer, but I believe it's, uh, there's the power of God, which is good, and also there is evil. If you're in Human Centipede, which celebrities would you want to be in front and behind you? Okay, maybe that wasn't one of the questions, but they only did two questions, and there really should have been three. But now, they enter the house. The first step of the investigation involves the placement of trigger objects. These are vital in determining the presence of supernatural forces. The idea is that if this moves... Yeah. Um, you can actually move outside the line. You're, it's a way of telling it if the object actually has moved. The trigger object is a piece of paper with a coin on it, and Robert has placed around the coin a pencil circle. If the coin moves outside the pencil line, then it's a ghost. With everything ready, the group moves into the castle's bedchamber. It's here they hope to discover if the legend of its haunting is true. Robert and the group of young people get into position. I think we should turn the lights out and have a session sitting in, in quiet in the dark and see what, uh, what, what actually materialises or what happens. All is quiet. So Natalie decides to use her psychic power to make contact. Yeah, that should help. What, what I'd like to do, if you all agree, is try and talk to, if there is something in this room, and ask it um, if it will manifest itself in some way, because yeah. sometimes that has an effect. Um, so if everyone's quiet, um, I'll try and... Um, if there's anything in this room, any kind of spirit, um, will you manifest yourself in some way, make it colder? Move one of the control objects. Um, make a noise. We want some evidence that you're here. We know you can do it. Those noises were not the ghost. They were obviously added post-production. Even I can tell that. Ten minutes later, there is an answer. Ten minutes? I can feel it touching my cheeks and I've got loads of layers on. And I can feel it around me. Yeah. I can feel it all in front of us. It's sort of round um, cold. It seems to have come in the room from the chimney area. It's certainly got a lot colder, and there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, it's not imagination. Cold coming in from the chimney. Cold coming in from that big, fat hole in the room that leads directly outside. Everyone is suddenly feeling colder. But is it registering on the thermometer? Have a look at the uh, temperature. 
It's now 50, 53. So in the space of what? Two two three minutes, it's dropped seven degrees. Yes, come and come and have a look. That's quite good, isn't it? Anyone else like to have a look? It was was 60. Okay, I now realise this is not the most exciting ghost hunt I've ever seen. I think we all need something to get us going, so Robert checks the control object. Let's move for a start. See, it's moved outside its circle. Oh, wow. It's rather spectacular. At least something has happened. The coin has moved a whole millimetre. Whatever is here is about to become more active. It was a reflection Definitely, of something. We both saw it was it. a reflection of something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> reflection, I thought it was my reflection. But there's no way you could see a reflection my of anybody. My reflection anybody. or anyone's reflection in there. In that, no, you couldn't. And it was a female face. Louise and Mark have both seen something in the window. We don't see anything because the camera is pointed at Louise and Mark. It was definitely a female face, I know that. With brown hair, and that's why I thought it was my reflection, but now if you think about it, there's no way that you'd see my reflection in that pane of glass from this distance. And it can't be anyone uh, outside because of the, the room is some distance above the ground. I think it's... <coughs> I saw it. Louise does have brown hair and a female face, but... It couldn't have been her reflection because, um, ghosts! As the night wears on, the sense of a female presence in the bedchamber increases. At 4am, it's strong enough for Natalie to psychically interpret its story. Given that it takes a full ten minutes for ghosts to respond to Natalie, after four hours, she should have at least got a full sentence out now. I had this sort of picture in my mind of... A woman on the bed being restrained and there was a, a woman who was aborting her baby and when when the baby was born it was killed straight away and chopped up I think or cut lots, lots of times with a knife. It was some kind of ritual in a way because I think it was her daughter on the bed and for some reason the baby had to be killed as part of the ritual. Holy shit, that went dark quickly. They've been in the castle seven hours. For Natalie, the energy is becoming unbearable. I'm not sure I want to hear any more from Natalie. I'm very fond of castles and old buildings, but the whole of this place is just horrible, I think. It's just reeks of despair and, and happiness, and it's affected, since I've been here, it's affected my mood. I've just. Since I've been out, I just wanted to leave, but not because I'm scared or anything, but because it's such a dismal place. It's utterly dismal. I don't think anyone would complain if she did leave. She's just bringing everyone down at this point. The rest of the night passed quietly, but the movement of control objects, temperature drop, and Natalie's accurate interpretation were ample evidence for Robert to declare the ghost watch a success. At 6am, the vigil is over. Success doesn't have a very high bar for Robert, then. No wonder his club doesn't have any members. Deliberately inviting contact with the paranormal may seem bizarre, but for some, it's not only a passion, it's a job. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. So we bless... The Reverend Lionel Fanthorpe is an Anglican priest and a paranormal investigator. The Reverend Lionel Fanthorpe. Sounds like an Agatha Christie character. Lionel has been involved in many paranormal investigations. The most disturbing occurred at the Odeon Cinema in Bristol. It's a story that begins more than 50 years ago. I did a little research and the Odeon Cinema is in the top five haunted places in Bristol. On Monday, the 29th of May, 1946, Parrington Jackson, the uh, cinema manager at the Odeon in Bristol, was murdered in the building. Parrington Jackson? Well, he sounds a bit of a dandy. Are they just making up these names? Parrington Jackson was shot through the temple at close range. Nothing was stolen and no shots were heard. Whoever killed him had disappeared. Looking for a motive, the police discovered that Jackson led a double life. He was a flirt. He was rumoured to have had numerous affairs. Everyone seems to agree that um, this may have had something to do with his murder. Oh, Parrington. We know the ladies couldn't resist him. It's not his fault. The murder has never been forgotten. Uh, even 50 years later, people still talk about it in Bristol. I guess nothing much happens in Bristol. People have said that they can see the ghost or hear the ghost. I was coming through a corridor from the main part of the cinema and just saw him through the doorway. Sometimes in Screen 3 especially, when we've gone to chat when everyone's gone, it looks as though there's still someone left. She really does sound absolutely terrified. He's normally sitting quite near the front, about three rows from the front, so um, obviously you can only see from the shoulders up. But um, a normal man, late 40s, late 50s perhaps... Why would she be so scared about seeing a normal man in his 40s or 50s? Would she be scared if she saw me? Is everyone in Bristol this scared? Many staff have had paranormal experiences at the Odeon, but none so bizarre as former usher Andy Mayo. I'd been an usher for like three or four weeks and I was getting on really well. And uh, one evening um, I went into to this cinema, Cinema 3. The lights hadn't been brought down yet and I was stood at the top of the, the auditorium here and I saw this, um, this man. A normal man? Late 40s or 50s? And I instinctively said, um, excuse me, we're not open yet. And before I could say excuse me, we're not open yet, he walked to the end of this room here and walked straight through the wall. Well, that doesn't usually happen. Like his colleagues, Andy had missed the apparition of a man in Cinema 3. No one expected what happened next. A week or so later, one of the other ushers, she was walking down the steps with me towards screen 3 and uh, I just felt all cold all over and she had to catch me as I collapsed on the stairs. She grabbed my hands, like you would if you see someone falling. You grab them, don't you? And my hands were icy cold. Cold hands, cold heart. That's what my grandmother used to say. 
But she did have dementia and did say a lot of weird things. Frightened and distressed by his sudden collapse, Andy decided to seek help from his manager. I said, look, I saw something walk through the wall. Somebody touched me on the shoulder. I'm not... I haven't got a, a wild, vivid imagination when it comes to ghost stories or anything like that, but this is what I felt. And he went, yeah, you're not the first. Three weeks later, he quit his job. Sounds like Andy could have a dangerous workplace suit on his hands. I left the Odeon because I was scared. I couldn't forget what I'd seen and what I'd felt. From his accent, we can tell that Andy is a Scottish person. And as we found in episode 63, Scottish persons are not as tough as they like to make out when it comes to ghosts. And Andy here is just reinforcing that stereotype. Bristol University asked Andy to return to the Odeon to make a film about his experiences. He agreed. On the proviso that he'd have protection from paranormal investigators Rosie Malone and the Reverend Lionel Fanthorpe. Together, they'd attempt to psychically cleanse the building. I'm not sure what help Reverend Lionel's going to be. He's a big man, but he's out of shape. Um, Rosie looks like a taller version of the psychic in Poltergeist. Within minutes of arriving, Rosie sensed something unusual. Oh, it's starting to get really effy up here, isn't it? It's like a crackle in the air is about as best I can describe it. Uh, So you know something is here until you actually get nearer the source of what's causing it. You just feel as if there's something there. A crackle in the air. Let's hope there's not a snap and a pop. This is, um, the door the was there, yes. So, so that's where he disappears. You see where that carpet type of line is there in the front? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They began by retracing the steps of the apparition Andy had seen in the cinema. Surprisingly, they find little paranormal energy. So they decide to investigate the area of Andy's first collapse. Poor Andy, you can tell he really doesn't want to go there. I then showed them the back stairs. And it was while we were going down the back stairs that I felt this draught. Bar this door with sacred power, that no evil can pass it. In the name of the Father and of the Son. It's down here. Amen. What is happening here is Andy has gone completely limp and is leaning against the wall and Rosie is protecting him from some unseen force with her ample body. All I know was, I don't know if you've ever had a really bad stomach pain like appendicitis. It was really, really painful. Leave him. You can't have him. You go through me. It felt like... I'd actually been hit in the the testicles and then the pain moved to my stomach. I haven't had appendicitis, but I have been struck in the testicles, or balls to use a layman's term. Andy had suffered another devastating attack. Who or what had caused it is unknown. Despite the efforts of Lionel and Rosie, Andy's nightmare isn't over. His only option is to try again. Poor Andy. He doesn't even work there anymore. Although Andy Mayo no longer works at the cinema, he feels he's being followed by the presence he found there. I was having real bad panic attacks. I wasn't able to sleep. Um, I was exhausted. 
Now, I'm not trying to shame Andy in any way, but Andy is a larger person. He is also Scottish, so his diet is probably non-vegetable, deep-fried diet, which could be contributing to his various ailments. Andy's case is extreme. Lionel Fanthorpe believes the solution is to return once more to the cinema and conduct an ancient religious ritual. The exorcism. I think he just keeps going back so he can sneak into some free movies. If the entity which appears to be causing the disturbance, causing fear, unhappiness, producing negative feelings in a human being who is in that house or in that building, then the function of the exorcism is to bring peace to the disturbed psychic entity. And the role of the priest is to bring love and peace where there has previously been hostility and unhappiness. I've seen a few films about exorcisms and none of them were peaceful. And despite that, he's managed to talk poor Andy into coming back again. You're a brave man. Thanks for coming back. Returning to the Odeon, Andy is nervous. This stair area is the scene of his last two attacks. Still, come on, let's go on up and see. Let's see what we can see. I don't think this is going to go well. Almost immediately, he begins to feel uncomfortable. I tried to warn them. Scared. My stomach is really tingling again. My head's cold. Lionel begins with prayers designed to subdue the entities. No evil thing may pass by it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There he goes. Malleus Maleficarum. This is This is burning. My hands are in burning. Aegis. Fundamentus Aegis in Montibus Sanctus. This is really freaking me right out. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Wait, isn't this supposed to be Latin? No ghost is going to sling his hook if you just walk in and talk through some hymns. It's making Andy feel horrible. He won't be here long now. Touch not thou that man. I command you as a priest of Christ. Touch not thou that man. Call upon the angels of power, the ministers of grace, to drive out all those And his pain is real. He does look like he's been kicked in the nuts. Lionel believes it may be channeled from the past. If we go back to the original event from which the hauntings seem to have sprung, we have sensations of anger. The last time I went to the movies, I paid to see Clerks 3. I was very angry, until I got my refund. We have sensations of fear, feelings of pain, and then the awareness of approaching death. Clerks 3 was bad, but not that bad. Which is perhaps one of the most sombre fears to which the human mind is open. If then, 50 years after that event, a young man who is hypersensitive is in the vicinity of that cauldron of negative emotion, then he or she 
may well re-experience both the fear and the pain. So it's Andy's fault for being too sensitive and nothing to do with him being a shit exorcist. As they move deeper into the building, Andy's discomfort is becoming more intense. He must now help Lionel in his final attempt to exorcise the spirit. If Reverend Lionel Fanthorpe had paid attention in Latin class instead of doing God knows what, he wouldn't have to put poor Andy through all this. He's going to attack you. You have to fight them yourself with your will. And your problem is your sensitivity. Sounds like something a shit priest would say. Just repeat after me. With the help of God. The help of God. I have the strength. I have the strength. To repel these evil forces. forces. Come on, Andy. With feeling. All right, all right, all right. Got him. This is too weird. I agree. Has he left? I still feel the same. Yeah, but did you feel him leave? I don't know what I felt. Lionel and Rosie haven't completed the exorcism. But Andy is now overwhelmed. It feels much better here, actually. It does. Yeah. How do you feel? No, I'm not... He decides he's had enough. Yeah, fine, fine. This is too freaky. Yeah, okay, that's, well, we fully respect that, of course. I don't blame him. He's got a priest who can't speak Latin, and Rosie keeps pressing her body against him whenever he stops walking. I doubt he's even getting paid for this. Since the exorcism, Andy's had no more attacks, but the haunting has profoundly changed him. Before this experience, I didn't believe in ghosts. Being a Christian, I believed in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and that's it. He literally just named two ghosts that he does believe in. No, I do believe, you know. But what was the energy that attacked Andy? And what is a ghost? Lionel Fanthorpe believes they take many forms. This should be good. I think as an investigator of the paranormal, I would come up with four possible solutions. The first is that a ghost is, in the traditional sense, the spirit of a departed human being. Did they really have to put that noise in? The second explanation is that when we think we're seeing or hearing ghosts, what we're really aware of is a replay of something which took place many years ago. Yes, they're going to be doing that with all the explanations. The third explanation is that there was some kind of malfunction within the mind. I think we all know what he's trying to say there. The fourth explanation would be that there are entities other than human spirits. Things that we might call divas or jinn or elementals. And that when we come into contact with them, for want of a better word, we call them ghosts. I'm not going to take his word for anything. There is another story in this documentary, but I'm not going to include it. And that's not because I'm being lazy or anything. It's because it follows some paranormal investigator who is investigating a haunted pub. Unfortunately, it seems they didn't ask any of the locals to vacate the pub, or if they did, the locals just refused. The whole thing is filmed during what seems to be a busy Friday night. There's no way they could catalogue anything due to all the contamination of the scene. It's also very noisy, making the audio even worse than the rest of the show. And also, nothing really happens. Episode 66 Haunted Britain
the epilogue. So, what have we learnt this week? We learnt that dowsers are perverts. He concentrates on just one room. Pangersik's bedchamber. We learnt that despite every other ghost show stating the opposite, and despite poor Andy feeling like he'd been kicked in the bollocks, the undersubscribed ghost club says that ghosts can't hurt you. How are you so sure that these ghosts can't hurt you? How do you know? Well, there's never been a case of a ghost harming anyone at all. They're, they're not material objects. And we learned that even though poor Andy says he doesn't believe in ghosts, he definitely does believe in ghosts. Before this experience, I didn't believe in ghosts. Being a Christian, I believed in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and that's it. If this documentary was supposed to showcase Britain as being incredibly haunted, it failed. And not for the first time, I wished I'd picked a different subject. We start with a couple of old perverts dousing their rods and not in a good way. Then some newbies taken to a place where they'd already been told is haunted. Darren Brown did a great experiment some time ago where he took a group of people to a house that he suggested had ghosts. After a while, people were hearing, seeing and even feeling things that weren't really there. It was only afterwards did he tell them that there had never been any spooks reported at that location. And who's going to take the word of a ghost club that only has 250 members? Then we had the sad saga of Scottish Andy. He obviously didn't want to be there, and he was very distressed. But that could have been because it seemed that the priest had never seen an exorcist, and Rosie kept pressing her body against him if he so much as coughed. There are lots of really scary places in the UK. I know, I've been to some of them. But this crew decided to ignore them all. So, I hope I haven't ruined your spooky season. You could make up for it by going to the Courtyard Theatre to see me starring in Hangmen. But we're sold out now, so you can't. But you could also listen to friend of the show Sean on Grunch Time on Voodoo Radio or watch Who Be Halloween starring another friend of the show, Amelia, from Ghost Hunting in New England and listen to her podcast too. Anyway, happy Halloween, everyone. Thank you to our new patrons who are Todd X, Sean Watson, Mike Henry of Bandology with Mike and John, Amelia Childs of Ghost Hunting in New England, and Jamie Miller of Surf City Bake Shop Huntington Beach. Also, thanks to our graphic designer, Raymond Rowell of Project Raven Creative. Thanks for listening and tune in again to find out what else I don't know.